Amen. Let's celebrate together. Go ahead and have a seat. So glad you guys are here today. And I just want to encourage you, uh, continue to be praying for those affected by the hurricane uh, up in the Carolinas and people who are experiencing devastating flooding have gone with power outages. We know how that feels pretty well, don't we? Yeah, um, so just be praying for them. We know that. I'm going to ask, I've, I've already done something to break my countdown timer that's on the screen. And if you fix that, that's going to get people home on time. If you don't, we're going to have some long church today. All right. Uh, man, today we're starting a new series. Yeah, there's a couple of people who are excited. Other people are like, man, I'm kind of hungry. I didn't have breakfast. Um, we're, we're, that's right. Food. Let's go. Um, today we're kicking off a new series, and I'm excited about it. It's about the power uh, of an invitation. And invitations are important, and especially in this day and age, you know, there's great things about social media, but one thing that's negative that social media has done, it's made me far too aware of the fun things that my friends do that I was not invited to. Uh, yeah, so, some other people, yeah, some other people have experienced this, yeah. You know, I see some of my friends spearfishing, and they're like, oh, it's so good, we almost got attacked by a bull shark, and I'm like, I hope you get stung by a jellyfish, like, I know this, that may not be right, but I'm just telling you how I feel, like, when, when there's something that I want to be at, but I didn't get the invitation, like, there's that... There's that tension, like invitations. It's like when it's not there, there's a question of why wasn't that invitation there? Sometimes you get an invitation that you really would have preferred to not get. It's like, I'm so glad you're having a co-ed baby shower. That's what I love to do with my Saturday. Thank you for inviting me to that. Um, you know, but at those things, sometimes you've got to find ways to just make it fun. Like just watch the introverts squirm as they have to be around people for too long. It, it, it's a fun little game to play, and it's one of the reasons why I don't make the introverts here stand up and shake everyone's hands. I know that's terrifying for some of you, um, but, but when we're in these big groups and when we're especially at big social events, marriages, parties, fun things, teams, whatever, there's often this question of, did I get an invitation? Do I want an invitation? And in, in the passage that we're going to look at today, it, it, it's this really sim- simple invitation that happened, and it's almost just kind of this footnote within the passage, but this story and this beginning uh, of Jesus' ministry, it, it all connects into this important invitation that happened around a marriage. And, and so today, if you have your Bible with you, open up to the Gospel of John chapter 2. And if you don't have your Bible, no worries, we will project the words on the screen. And just a little context, this is, this is right, this is actually before the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Even though he had started doing some things, he had been baptized by John the Baptist, and he hasn't called all of the disciples yet, but he's got five of them with him. And so right at this very beginning, we we see this invitation happen. So if you have your Bible, open up to Gospel of John chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And we're going to break this down. We're going to go through verse 12 today, but we're going to kind of work this in sections. And one of the first things, their marriages were very, their whole celebration of a wedding, it was very different than what we do here. And I first of all just want to start with saying, the Jewish people, they were very serious about their celebrations and their parties. Like, I mean, they took them very seriously. In fact, you would not have a wedding on the same week or especially not the same day as one of the festivals or one of the celebrations that would happen. Because, and this is in some of the old Jewish writing, they wanted you to celebrate and not feel distracted by, like, I want to go be alone with my wife. And so they wanted, you know, that party to happen and then have this other one. 
And so they had actual scheduled days of the week where they would normally have the weddings. If it was a first wedding, it was on a Wednesday. And if it was a widow who's being remarried, it would be on a Thursday, which is just kind of some interesting facts. And so any days leading up to those days were just like the pre-ceremony partying, which was happening. And so their, their celebrations would often last multiple days and even sometimes weeks. And so at the very beginning of this party, really before the wedding has been officiated and done, we, we see they run into this problem where they're out of wine. And, and the, before we, actually I'm going to dial back because before we get to that detail where they ran out of wine, we see just that little footnote that Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now this is neat because we see and we're going to learn some things about the character and the personality of Jesus through this text today. And one of the things that you see throughout his life that Jesus continually, he would go places where he was invited. Often places where people would say a teacher of scripture, a rabbi, should not be in a place like that. And and when you're inviting Jesus to come to your celebration, there might be some hesitation of saying, Jesus, you know, there's actually an open bar at this wedding, so you may not be as, you know, welcomed here, you may not feel as comfortable here, Um, but, you know, he got invited nonetheless, and he was there. And by the nature that he just called some of these disciples, Jesus added a plus five onto his RSVP, like, the day before. And and so there's these extra people who are coming, but they ended up getting invited and so they're, they're there at the wedding, and, and, and we see this, this problem begin to occur. And it's interesting to note that Jesus had not done a public miracle yet. And we don't have any details as if he did any private miracles before this. But his mother interacted with him in a way that she said, if I tell Jesus what's going on, he, he might do something. She knew something about his character that made her say, if I ask, he might do something. And I don't know if you've known people this way where you say, okay, I don't know what solution they have, but I, there's just some things about their personality that says they might be able to help with this. Uh, one time I was at a church event, and we were trying to get some, some boxes of food open because we were having an event feeding kids, and Sam's Club decided to like, make their box bear-proof this day. And so it's like you couldn't get into it no matter what. And I looked at my friend Clayton across me, and I, it just clicked. Clayton was a Boy Scout. And there's a couple other people, and I was like, hey, Clayton, give me your knife. And he looked up, and he, and he just kind of looked at me, and the person next to me was like, Clayton doesn't have a knife. And I was like, Clayton, give me your knife. And he's like, how do you know I have a knife? I'm like, you're a Boy Scout, so you have a knife and rope at all times. Like, I just know this about Boy Scouts. And some of the Boy Scouts in the room are like, yeah, I have a knife right now, or they feel guilty that they don't have a knife right now, because a Boy Scout is always prepared. And you can ask them for things like that. They can tell you how much rope they can make out of their clothes. Like, they're useful. There's things about their character that if you know things about them, you know what they have, you know how they can help. And there was something about the person of Jesus that Mary said, even though they're out of wine and there's not necessarily a place to go get wine, I know that if I speak to him, I know that by his character he could do something. And I want to note that Jesus was about 30 years old at this point. I mean, we, we sometimes breeze past that truth that the majority of Jesus' life was spent with his family. And then three years at maximum of ministry before his death. I mean, and so Mary, she knew his character. And she, she, she knew that just by bringing the problem, which I just want to tell you, you know, Jesus was invited to this wedding not because they knew they were going to run out of wine. Like, he, he was invited because they wanted him there. 
Even if it meant bringing a plus five at the last minute. Maybe, maybe it was those disciples' fault that they ran out of wine. Maybe there was the unaccounted guest, but they really should have had enough for days to come. And so there's some evidence that this couple didn't have the financial means to throw the wedding that they really wanted to, should have thrown in this culture. And so Jesus is there just because he should be there. And then a miracle ends up happening. This is what we're going to see in the next verse. But I just want to stop and highlight, highlight the truth that I've seen play out in my own life and play out in the lives of so many other people, that when we invite God into our ordinary, we'll see him do something extraordinary. So many people in their faith and their life and their experience with God, it's like right at the beginning, like, God, I want you to do like a miracle right now, which first of all, don't start trying to tell God what to do. Like, it's just not, that's not the pecking order. That's not how it works. And, and we don't get to command or push God into doing anything. We do get to invite him and ask him to show up. But what I've seen is that in the people's life who just, in their ordinary circumstances, they're honoring God. In their ordinary circumstances, they're doing what Scripture commands. In their ordinary circumstances, they're inviting God to be a part of what's going on in their marriage, in their family, in their workplace, in their finances. In those people's life who just bring God into the ordinary, those are the people where I see God do something extraordinary. And so many times in, in my life and so many times in the life of this church, just through these boring acts of obedience, we see God do these amazing blessings that we don't deserve, that we wouldn't have expected, that's just straight up extraordinary that it happened. But it's not because we sought out something extraordinary. It's just because we were saying, God, be involved in this ordinary, boring part of my day. I, w I want you because you are extraordinary. And when you're around, I know sometimes extraordinary things happen, but whether or not you do a miracle, I know that just by having you in my life, man, that's enough. And if part of your mind or heart has just been feel, feeling like, I just, I need God to show me something huge. You know, I, I think that does happen eventually in our, in our walk with God. I think eventually we do see and have those moments. But I'd say where you need to focus your eyes is just inviting God in the ordinary stuff. Because if you can't be trusted with the small things, Scripture says he's not going to trust you with the big things. And so if you want to see God work in a huge way, start letting him work in a small way first. And that's when we see those amazing moments break open. That's when we see incredible things happen. And so when we invite God into these ordinary circumstances, Jesus was just invited to this ordinary wedding where he ended up doing something extraordinary. And I also want to just interact with for a second, um, because we're sensitive to this in our culture. He called her woman, and that kind of gets the hair on the back of our neck standing up like, man, you can't talk to a female that way. That's disrespectful. First of all, there's just some cultural differences, and I'll also just point your attention towards John 19, 26, where at the end of his life, when he's on the cross, he says, dear woman, here's your son. He's referring to the apostle John, where he's saying, John is going to take care of you now that I'm dying, and he's going to be like your son, and you're going to be like his mother. And he referred to her in that way, and it's not nearly as tense because of the situation. It was a common term. It wasn't something that was disrespectful. And when he said, my time has not yet come, what he's describing here in the circumstance, because it's a little bit blurry in the way that we normally talk, he's saying, my public ministry isn't starting yet. This isn't the time for, for this to start yet. And we actually see at the end of these passages later that after this miracle that happened that some people saw and some people didn't see, not everybody in the room even knew what happened. Afterwards, he goes back home with his, brother, with his brothers, with Mary, and with the disciples, and he stays there for a while. And so he's not jumping into public ministry yet, and that's why he's saying, we're not doing some big public thing with this right now. And so continuing on to the passage, going to verse 5, it says, but his mother told the servant. So hold on, I just got to rewind so that way we, we stay with the context of what's happening. So he says, dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. This is someone else's responsibility. My time has not yet come. 
And Mary, in verse 5, she continues and says, But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby, there were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So we're talking about 180 gallons of liquid that those things can hold. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, when 180-ish gallons of water had been moved, you think carrying three gallons of milk from your car is tough. 180 gallons of liquid being moved, of water being moved. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. First of all, the place that he's putting this was a place that was used for hand washing, for cleaning up, for ceremonial reasons, and it was something that is not the place that you would want to drink from. And so I just want to start by saying Jesus' instructions were terrible. The, this was a bad idea, all right? Especially from the, the focal point of the servant, the servant who has to do this, you know, bring the water, put it in here, then put it in a cup that someone drinks out of it, and go bring it to the master of ceremonies. This is a really bad idea, because as a servant, it was common in this day, if you did something dumb, you could get physically reprimanded in, for this, N- and now in front of a party of people. And so who wants to be the servant who carries a cup of water from the hand-washing jar to the master of ceremonies? And the master of ceremonies would commonly say, there were seven different blessings that would be recited as part of, of this wedding feast together. And so he would hold up the cup, and he would say a blessing, and then he would take a drink of it. <coughs> And this servant is tasked with carry this water to someone who's going to make a public statement and then drink it in front of everyone and spit it out and smack you in the face. Who's ready for that job, right? I mean, the viewpoint of the servant in this, like he's been told to listen to Jesus, but he's going to potentially end up looking like the fool here. I mean, Jesus is just the joker on the, in the background who made this happen from his, his point of view. And, and so just quickly, quickly pausing it and looking at, you know, any time that we have been challenged to step out in our faith in our life, I mean, we probably experience some of those same emotions. Uh, we, we probably try to advise God a little bit. Like, God, you don't understand. Like, I know that you're asking me to do this, but you don't understand. Because if I do this, I'm going to look foolish. And if I look foolish, that's a poor reflection on you. And so I'm going to make sure that you look good by not listening to what you've told me to do. That's kind of how it plays out in my mind, at least. I don't know if that's happened with you, but when we're asked to do something and there's part of our heart that is scared of doing it, we, we become God's advisor and correct the course that he sends us on because we, we understand this is, this is not going to work. And these, these times where God pushes us and asks us to step out on faith, man, I, I understand there, it's not just about joking matters. It's things that are real and close to our life. I mean, when I think back to times in me and Tia's life where there was, you know, a big step of faith that had, had to be taken, uh, when I first met Tia, it was the really romantic situation of her holding some other boy's hand. Um, she had a boyfriend at the time when we first met, which is a great, you know, way to meet your future spouse. Um, but she, she's standing there with him, and we say hi, and, and we go on. But in her own life, she had been dating this other guy for a while, but she knew in her heart and she knew in her mind with no doubt that she needed to break up with him. And he was like ready to propose. And so she begins doing the thing that girls do. She talks to other friends, and some of her friends are telling her, I don't think you should break up with him. I, I, I think you should just try to see that through. But she, she knew, and you know, she said she knew before she met me. I like to think that it was about the time that she met me that she decided to break up with that guy. But you know, there's debate about that in our household. But she, she seriously had 
And, and you know, all joking aside, she seriously, this is the conversation that she had. She said, I might never get married if I, if I break up with this guy. Like, I feel like I'll get married, he's ready to propose if I stay, Breaking up with him might mean that I don't get married or may not get married on the schedule that I thought my life was going to go on. And that produced a lot of fear in her life. Because she had like the social safety of like, here's someone who will marry me, but if I listen to God, like I'm stepping out of that relationship and I'm stepping into uncertainty. And when you're in those moments where you say, I don't know if my job will be safe, I don't know if my relationship will be safe, or the future that I had planned for myself. I mean, I know what God's telling me to do, but I don't know about these things and what that might mean. I'll tell you, stepping out in faith, it always includes, I think it always includes being afraid. There's some fear that's there. It always involves risk. Something bad could happen if I trust God with this thing. It, it, it involves, this might seem obvious, but it involves actually taking a step too. It's not just something we, we feel and think, but when God has called us to take a step of faith, we actually have to go out and take this step and do something that then creates the risk. But here's the thing, here's the reason why we're able to take that step. Because we know we have a good heavenly father who is able to provide. We trust his wisdom above our own. And so when our own mind battles against the calling of God in our life, when our own mind battles against the calling that Scripture puts in front of us and says, this is how you should live, we know that we can rest in his wisdom. And so even though fear and anxiety, it wells up in our heart as we are trying to take this step, we step out anyway because we know we can trust him. And so we take this step. And so the second point for, for today is faith is following him even when it seems foolish. This calling that Jesus put onto the servant, man, it, it's a little bit crazy for someone to step out and bring this, this water. And I want to tell you, you know, the scripture isn't completely clear on this, but look at some of the timing that plays out in this. Jesus, verse 7, Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out. There's not really any implication that it's changed yet. And take it to the master of the ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. And then verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Can you imagine the tension in the servant like at this moment? Like he, he brought it to him and now he takes a drink and he calls, bridegroom, come here, we've got to talk. Like, like that servant, I'm sure, was like starting to sweat. There's, there's some anxiety going on in this moment. And this person who was important, who said the blessing over the cup, he calls the bridegroom over and begins to talk to him and says, a host always serves the best wine first, which is known as being the boldest, the strongest. And this, this is common sense, but this is also written in some um, extra biblical sources from, from the time in the Hebrew culture. They, they would normally bring out the stronger wine first, and this is not a biblical text, but it would say to, to basically loosen people up a little bit. And then they bring out the lesser wine that was cheaper and would be less likely to make people get incredibly intoxicated because that wasn't the goal. They didn't want people to get wasted at the weddings, but they would bring out the strong stuff first, the weaker stuff later, so they'd still have something to drink, but it wouldn't be as strong as far as alcohol content go. And it says, a host always serves the best wine first. Then ev when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive. But you have kept the best until now. 
This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Now, the the lesser wine, it, it, it was expected, but then at the very end, something greater came. And it's interesting because when you go through the servant's mind as he's listening to this conversation, he's like, I am bringing the worst thing possible to offer to the master of ceremonies. Like, Jesus asked me to bring water from the sink that we basically wash our hands with to present to him as wine that he's going to hold up in front of other people and bless and drink. And I'm bringing him something that is, is not good. But then, when I do what God asked me to do, when I did what Jesus asked me to do and brought it to him, he drank it, and he said it was the best stuff of the entire day. And, and this is just an interesting note, and it's part of the miracle, but man, I see things like, like this play out in our life. I, I see things like this play out when we are being invitational towards other people, and when we're trying to be a blessing to other people. Oftentimes, we'll feel like God is calling me to go and do something for someone, but it, even the act that I'm going to go and do, I'm going to go mow someone's lawn. It just feels insignificant, like they just lost a spouse, and I'm mowing their lawn. What difference does that make? But God uses that in such a tremendous way. And it's this little thing that we thought we were bringing to them. God turns it into something so much bigger. And we might be like, I want to have a conversation with this person about my faith, about what, what God has for them. But I just, I'm not smart enough and I don't argue well. And if they ask me questions, I'm going to break out in a sweat and get nervous and run away. And it just won't be good. But when I actually go and step out in faith and do it, it's like the conversation went really well. And it encouraged their heart. Because here's the truth. When God calls us to do something, the results, that's not on our shoulders. The the content of of what gets delivered, God will be responsible for that. But what you're responsible for is obedience and doing what God has asked you to do. And you might say, I don't know what will happen with the results. And God says, don't worry about the results. Worry about being obedient to what I've asked you to do. When you share about your faith with someone, It's never your responsibility to make them make a decision. It's your responsibility to be faithful and share the truth. And God says he plays a part, and his part is to work on hearts. Your part is to love other people. And then God says there's a part on them to respond. You're not responsible for God's part, and you're not responsible for their part, but you are responsible for yours. And so church, how are you doing in that area? When God has said, go and do this, have you been responding? Have you been putting your feet to work? Have you taken the step to move forward? You know, especially on the topic of invitation and the power of an invite, uh, it, for me, it's easy to invite people because God has just done so much like in my life. And so I just love seeing people get to experience this. And so I want to see people get connected to churches. And frankly, I don't even care if it's Gulfside. Like, I just want to see them get connected somewhere. I shared shared about Gulfside Church somewhere and was talking with a lady about it afterwards at a Master's Network commission that I'm a part of. And she said, I haven't been going to my church for so long. I was like, well, you should go back. I know your pastor. He's awesome. Go see him. And she started going back. And man, that's a win for me. Uh, I got a call yesterday from a guy who's just brokenhearted, and there's some tough stuff going on in his life, and my cell phone is the church's phone number, and so when he looked up, he just Googled churches, he, like, he got me on a Saturday morning, so we start talking, and, and he's brokenhearted, and I say, hey, I know a great church that's close to you. Here's the name of it. Here's their service time, and that, that's a huge win because I know that when he goes there, 
It's not that he needs what Gulfside Church has. He needs what Jesus has for him. And and so when he goes there, no matter how good or bad his life has been, he is going to find something better. I mean, like at at this wedding, they thought they had already had the good wine. Like the good wine, like they thought they'd had it. And the fact is a lot of people go through their life thinking that they have the best that life has to offer. And some people, they have just a great road. They have money, they have resources, they have the friends, and they think that they have everything that they need out of life. But even those people who feel like they've had every blessing that the world can offer, when they find Jesus, they realize they found something that's better than anything else they've ever experienced. And if you've been going through a broken road in life and you just feel like there's no way out of this, there's no way for me to climb out of this pit that my life is in right now, I want you to know that God has something better, something that you haven't experienced. I mean, even to the person who is on their deathbed and and their life is almost over, I can tell you with certainty, I could look you in the eye and say, if you trust in Jesus, God has something better for you than you have ever imagined or asked for. Because no one, no one knows what God has in store. how great what God has in store for those who love him. Whether it's in this life or after this life, for those who love God, God has something amazing and incredible in store for you. And you might think you've tasted the best that there was to offer, But if you don't have Jesus in your life, I'm going to tell you, there's a part of you that will not be fulfilled because you were designed for him. And part of you will always seek after him. Romans 10, 9, it teaches us that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a personal aspect to our faith where we have to call out to him because just like in this wedding and just like in so many other circumstances, Jesus doesn't force his way in, but he waits for the invitation. And it says he knocks at the door and he's ready to enter, but he waits for an invitation. And if you've not yet invited him to come into your life and do work and to guide you and to restore your soul, you need to take that step. Not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because, you know, it deals with heaven, but because God has so much more for you in this life than what you've experienced yet. Which is the third point that I I see in this text is we have not yet seen God's best. We have not yet seen God's best. You've not yet seen God's best in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. We've not yet seen God's best in this church. We've seen God do some incredible things. We've seen this auditorium packed at Easter, uh, but we have not yet seen God's best. And I love to invite people because that's what I love to see happen. I love to see them begin to experience God's plan for their life. That's the joy of being a pastor. That's the joy of making these invitations. And this is the common reaction that people have when they come to know Christ. I'm going to kind of jump to the last page of the book. If you have your Bible, flip to the last page of Revelations. It's 22, verse 17. And it's giving this picture of heaven. And this is the mentality of what's happening in heaven at at the end of all days. In verse 17, it says, And the Spirit, the Spirit of God said, And the bride, which is the church. When it says the bride, it's talking about the church, those who have believed. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this calling, let them come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Each one of us are invited. Each one of us who have, hear the invitation have an opportunity to respond to the invitation, but it is never forced into your life. It is a decision that you will make. And those of us who have found it 
our reaction is, man, I wish other people would experience this joy, this fulfillment, this water that never runs dry. And I think we feel this way because this was the heartbeat of Jesus. When you look through his ministry, at, at every point, he was someone who was, who was ready to respond when someone called out to him. We, almost every week, uh, I find a way to work it in and make sure we keep our eyes set on Luke 19.10, which is like Jesus' personal mission statement, which says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus was someone who moved towards other people and was ready to respond when they were ready. And as we looked at a couple weeks ago, there's another passage that when the church started and the church was living the way that it was supposed to live and and it was preaching and it was sharing and making a difference in in their city, what ended up happening was the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. People People will respond when the church is who we are supposed to be. And church, we, we're approaching one year. Um, we're, we have one more week after today before we hit our one-year anniversary as a church, which is crazy. Yes, that's awesome. Band, if you guys want to start making your way back up on the stage, I'm going to close this thing up. It, it, it's awesome, but it's just the beginning. And what's awesome about it is we've got to see so many people step into what God has planned for them. But there's still so many people that are in our lives that we know they need a word of encouragement. They need a body of believers that will surround them and help them through life. They need to experience God's best in their life. And I believe that over the next two weeks, I've been asking and begging of God that he will put it on our hearts who it is that we should be inviting to Gulfside Church. As we celebrate one year, we want to continue this mission that Jesus laid out for us in Luke 19.10. And so we're going to, from the top down, we're going to prep and we're going to prepare for this. But this is what I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord, God, do you have someone in my life, in my workplace, that I should invite to church? And right now, as... God puts a name on your heart. During this next song, I want you to add a physical step of faith to what God is doing internally in you. And at our volunteer service, we started this. But up here on both sides, we have these plexiglasses with these passages that point us back to our mission. Would you commit to inviting that person that God has on your heart by writing their first name on this glass? As a sign of obedience to God, I know you're calling me to do this, and I'm going to step out and do it. And we want to support you in that. And so we have a couple resources up here. And so if you write a name up here, I want you to grab one of these at the same time. And if they're a family that doesn't have young kids, just grab one of these squares. It has a great little map and info of how to get here, and it's great to hand to them when you invite. If they have young kids, man, this is going to be an easy invite for you. Because our anniversary month of October first week, we're going to have a magic show for the kids in the kids' ministry. The second week, there's going to be an animal show and pony rides in the kids' ministry. So easy to get children to that. Um, There's going to be inflatable games the third week. And the fourth week, we're going to have a trunk or treat and child safety fair after our service. It's going to be a great time for their kids. And as they come, we're going to study um, that we, I, I referenced the book Chase the Lion last week. And you guys, some of you guys really responded to that quote 
um, and it was up on our Facebook, and some of you guys talked about how meaningful it was to you. We're going to be doing a Chase the Lion study over the next three weeks. It's going to be meaningful. It's going to be powerful. When you, when you bring someone, it's going to encourage their hearts. I promise you that. But that's the step. Is there someone in your life that God is calling you to bring? And if there is, I want to challenge you to take that step and write that name on one of these boards. Let me pray for you before we take this step. Father, I thank you that you respond to our invitations. And that when we have an issue that's happening, when there is a problem, even when we don't know what to ask and we just present the problem before you, you are willing to respond because of your character, because of your love, because of who you are. And so, Father, as we have fear and anxiety about taking this step, about making this invitation, Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you will do your part as we do our part. And we pray for our friends, for our loved ones, for our coworkers, for our classmates. We just pray for God's best in their life. And whether it's here at Gulfside or another church in this city, we just pray that they would find that church home so that they can experience the joy that is only known from walking with you. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward now to write the names as God moves on your heart.